This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today, I am so excited to welcome back Dr. Quincy Gideon to the show. Dr. Quincy is a registered psychologist who specializes in trauma, and she's been on the podcast before. In episode 79, she came on to talk about when treatment becomes trauma, focusing on medical trauma, and when we go through labor and delivery or other run-ins with doctors and the healthcare system and experience trauma in those environments. And she was also on episode 94 talking about how to regulate your nervous system. Because for those who have experienced trauma, our nervous systems are often very easily activated and hypervigilant afterwards. Today, I brought Dr. Quincy back to talk about something that is actually really personal to me and something that ties directly into our identity as women, as wives, as mothers, and that is religion, but specifically today, religious trauma. I grew up in an evangelical home and environment, and religion is something that has always been a part of my life and upbringing. And then I had an experience with a community or a church that had some major challenges and issues and some unhealthy behavior that went on. And that has really impacted me personally, but also caused me to really have to reevaluate this belief system that I was grown up with. And why does this matter for a motherhood podcast? And I want to say that it actually matters for a few important reasons. Our faith communities, our beliefs, our values, our morals are so interwoven into what we think it means to be a good wife, mother, woman, generally speaking, that it plays such a role in how you shape your view of yourself. Now, I want to be clear that we are having this conversation today about religious trauma so that you can understand the red flags for a worship or religious community, also the green flags and the go-aheads for healthy communities. And this conversation is in no way meant to be against religion, spirituality, any belief system, because research has shown time and time again how absolutely necessary spirituality is for our own resilience and coping and well-being. So today's episode is not at all to deter you from that, but it's really to equip you with the mindset, critical thinking, and skills to be able to enter an environment like this and look for the green flags and the red flags to know whether this is a psychologically and emotionally healthy and safe environment for you. In this episode, we dive into what religious trauma really is, how you know if you have experienced it, what some of the red flags are for an unhealthy or overly controlling religious environment might be, what some of the green flags are to look for in finding a place of worship to call your home, and also to get you thinking about how your religion and faith has shaped your idea and ideal of what it means to be a good mother I know that I found this conversation with Dr. Quincy so validating to the experience that I went through, and I hope that those of you listening find some validation through this conversation as well. Let's hear my chat with Dr. Quincy. Up to 20% of new moms experience postpartum depression or anxiety, weepiness, irritability, sadness, or constant worry. These things can make it hard to take care of yourself and your baby. 
Too often, we think that we just have to deal with it or that it will go away on its own. And sometimes we're so busy and overwhelmed that the idea of going to see a therapist is even more stressful. That's one of the reasons I started the Happy as a Mother Wellness Center, to make maternal mental health care easier and more accessible for new moms. Teletherapy brings you the value of mental health care at your convenience. You can access private virtual therapy sessions with experienced mental health care providers from anywhere with internet access. We have a growing team of maternal mental health professionals across Canada ready to help you. With just a few clicks, you can find a mom therapist in your area and book a free 15-minute consultation to get started. Postpartum life can be hard, but mental health care doesn't have to be difficult to access. To learn more about the Happy as a Mother Wellness Center and our mom therapist, visit happyasamother.co slash wellness. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Dr. Quincy, thank you so much for taking the time to join us back here today. We've had you on in the past for episode 79, episode 94, where we went over like when treatment becomes trauma, medical trauma in number 79, and in number 94, we went over how to regulate your nervous system, and really pretty much I've just decided at this point that like you're my go-to for all things trauma, (laughs) so thank you for coming back to allow me to pick your brain again today. You know, those are my favorite DMs to get is from you saying, you want to come back on and talk about this? So I really appreciate you having me. For those who aren't familiar with you, you are a psychologist that is specialized in trauma. And more recently, as I've been following you and, and, you know, tracking with your journey, you've been honing in on like religious trauma and cult trauma. Mm -hmm. How has your journey through like social media and trauma and your professional journey led you to this point? Well, I have actually been working with religious trauma and cult recovery for about 10 years now. I identify as an ex-evangelical, which means that I grew up in a really strict and charismatic evangelical church. And that came with a whole host of identity crises and traumas that I had to make sense of. As I kind of came out of that community, I went through a really bad divorce. There was a lot of tricky things that, that went on. I lost everything, my entire community, mm. all of my support. And that all happened while I was in grad school, learning how to be a psychologist and running a religious international nonprofit at the time. So because I was getting a divorce, I lost all of my donors. I lost all of the support. So suddenly like people overseas were struggling and suffering because I had made a personal decision that was deeply steeped in a lot of toxic things that were going on in that relationship. 
So that really began my journey of like, uh oh, I've followed all the rules. I have done everything that I'm supposed to do. And I made a decision about who to marry based on all of those roles. And turns out that doesn't keep you safe Mm. from unhealthy and toxic people. So now I've really got to rethink because I, my rule book doesn't work anymore. And so I was getting my doctorate in psychology, but it was inside a seminary. So we were required to get a master's in theology at the very same time. And I think that's probably what kickstarted my deconstruction, which is just a fancy word of saying, pulling apart all of your beliefs, looking at them and deciding does this actually make sense? Or is this just something that I was taught so often and so young that it is all I knew? I didn't know to question some of these things. Mm -hmm. And you pull apart all of those beliefs and you decide what you want to take with you and what you want to leave behind. So that process started about 10 years ago, a little longer now. And I started getting a lot of referrals in my practice from that very same seminary of people who Mm -hmm. were going through very similar processes and they needed the support of therapy and counseling. So I was kind of doing this behind the scenes from a trauma perspective of people that had sustained unimaginable traumas inside their religious groups or even cult groups. And they were trying to make sense of it from a trauma perspective and all of the tricky things that happen with that, right? Like, what do I believe? And who will I have with me now? (laughs) Who will I lose? Will I still have my job? What about my benefits. I worked for the church that I no longer believe in. So now I don't have health insurance if I leave, right? Like there's Mm -hmm. very practical kind of soul grinding (laughs) conversations that are had in that process. And so that has been going on for quite some time. I will say that last year I posted something on Instagram, a reel on Instagram about the religious trauma that I experienced in my marriage and it went viral. Hmm. And so I think once I hit like the 4 million mark or something like that, I was sort of overwhelmed of like the number of people that this is resonating with that I just happened to sort of accidentally talk about online that really told me a little bit about what people are wanting, what they're needing, and how many of us are out there. We're just not talking about it. And I was even perpetuating that, right? Like I was in a space where I could be talking about that sort of trauma. I was working with it every single day, but I was actually a part of being quiet as well. Because honestly, that's what we're taught in our religious groups. You don't talk about what's happening and what's Mm. salacious and what is traumatizing and all of those good things. So Yes, that's how this new kind of season has has come up is finding out that a lot of people needed to be talking about this and not a lot of people are talking about this on the internet, especially when they have some psychological training. That seems to be the thing that people are really longing for is like, what exactly happened to me? And I'm like, oh, let's talk about coercive control. Oh, let's talk about emotional manipulation. That looks like narcissists in a leadership position. Like, to have some psychological language around it has seemed to be very relieving for folks. Mm -hmm. It's so fascinating. And I was like, there was a part of me that's like, do I want to have this conversation? Because I also would consider myself like ex-evangelical, like your term, I grew up in a very like Pentecostal evangelical home and into young adulthood. And there's just a lot there. There's a Mm -hmm. lot. And so I'm like, is this for me or is this for my audience? You know? And (laughs) 
And I had to check myself on that for a minute. But when I really thought about this conversation and the importance of this in a motherhood audience and on a motherhood Mm -hmm. platform is that the religions or the values systems, the faith systems that we are brought up in keenly and directly shape our understanding of what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a wife, Mm -hmm. and what it means to be a mother, Mm -hmm. right? And so if you've grown up in these environments, like I grew up with, you know, women are a helpmate to their partner and they are born to just, you know, reproduce and support their husbands and all of these mindsets that when I'm starting to not be a sort of subservient wife then or a mother who chooses to not just be in a primary caregiver role, I'm then going against these beliefs that have been raised with. And so I feel like this really just weaves into our identity as mothers and is such an important thing that clearly so many people resonate with on your platform. Yeah, I think that that's the thing that I grapple with the most is I want to do things differently because I don't want them to be rooted in a toxic and misogynistic and homophobic (laughs) ideology. Mm. So I find myself in these spaces where that is the challenge is once you pull apart the religious trauma and how you were forced into a very particular role, what is left of your identity? Mm. And for some people, not much is left and there's a big rebuilding. And for other people, it's a relief because like I've been fighting for this for years and I just needed to be let go so that I could find my way. But for most people, they're going to be somewhere in the middle where you don't quite know how to do this new idea of motherhood or uh, spousehood or womanhood in a new way. You've never been taught how to do that. And yet you're yearning for it and you can't go back. You can't go back to where you were. You can't put the shackles back on. Mm -hmm. And so most of us kind of find ourselves right there in the middle and just trying to, you know, which day is it today and what am I struggling with? And is this the day that I'm like leaning into that freedom and really feeling it and loving that? Or is this one of those days where I'm racked with guilt and shame and deep concern that I am somehow wrong and that I am dragging my family down with me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the very nature you were talking about, this deconstructing of our beliefs or like stepping outside of them to observe them and sort of you know, pull them apart and really figure out what we want to adopt and consciously take in and what we want to learn to let go of. Even just the idea of questioning Mm -hmm. makes my skin want to crawl a little bit. I feel like just from the environment that we were Mm -hmm. in, right? So it's self-care and nurturing in yourself just to allow the space for even just that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the questioning is never going to be like easily compared to other questioning. So you might be questioning your job or your passion or the degree that you're getting and what you're going to do next. And you might be really questioning your current relationship, but there is something very, very upsetting and triggering to us about questioning something that we were told you cannot question. Yeah. And we were told that there is an absolute truth and that we, there's all of these other explanations for what is happening to you. If you are questioning such as the devil is tempting you, Right. Um, you were backslidden in your faith. 
you do not have contact with God because God would write this ship immediately. So the fact that you're questioning is somehow evidence that you are so totally wrong, that you're actually so far away from God and apart from God that you couldn't possibly know what to do next. It's Mm. so much more insidious than any other questioning out there. And I think that that's worth pointing out. So when you're questioning something and you're kind of feeling your nervous system, like respond, right? You start churning and you're maybe your voice is catching and you can kind of feel tears coming up and you're like really kind of worried about this very simple thought that you had, that's an indication that there's some religious trauma there. And that's something to really pay attention to Mm -hmm. because you weren't just told you couldn't question. You were told that you couldn't question. And that questioning was evidence of so much evil. Like how does the person get out of that? Right? Right. That's a no-win situation. So they're pushed back into servitude. They're pushed back into these faith communities and told that the very thing that has arisen in them is somehow evidence of their evil. Which is so uh, tricky and like obviously unhealthy and all the things, but like our critical thinking and our ability to evaluate our thoughts is one of our greatest gifts to be Mm -hmm. able to navigate a situation in a healthy Mm -hmm. way. Right? So Mm -hmm. to say like, no, like clearly there's not enough faith or clearly there's not enough whatever. And attributing that very healthy skill that I actually teach a lot of people in therapy mm-hmm. to something evil really messes with a person's like intuition or ability to like trust in their own mind, right? That's right. And that is one of the more powerful tactics that are used in coercive control environments. So this is one of the things that I challenge people when they're kind of in that, like, is this a cult? Is this a church? Is this toxic? Is it not? Is this traumatizing? Am I just having a weird reaction to it? Mm -hmm. When they're kind of in that middle ground trying to understand, there's several things that I walk them through. But certainly one of the things that I ask them to do is to reflect on what happened when they engaged with their critical thinking skills, when they had healthy skepticism, what happened in that group? What were you told in response to that? What did you feel? Were you nervous to bring that up? Why? Hmm. What had you learned before? What had you seen happen with other people that you knew this was not going to go down well? And then what did you do with it? What was your response after that? Did you squash it? Did you become a little bit obsessive about it? Because that's what happens when we make thoughts bad things, right? They'll keep visiting us and we can't observe them and just like get their messages and understand what's going on. And so now now we think we're a really bad person. Now we are really separate from God. So it's sort of like evaluating the entire process. Mm -hmm. What environment were you in? What happened when you were asked to disengage from healthy skepticism or thoughtfully considering things? And then what happened after that? That's all an important thing to understand when you're trying to undo what happened to you in these groups. Mm -hmm. And as we're talking, I'm thinking about the journey we're going to go on in this episode. It is about us understanding like what is healthy versus what is unhealthy because like research has shown that spirituality and faith can do a lot for our resilience and our ability to cope. That's right. And there is so much like health and hope and meaning and purpose that can come from the set of beliefs or the faith group that you're a part of. Mm -hmm. But there can also unfortunately be power in the hands of people who don't steward it properly 
and then some fallout from that. So mm-hmm. this is not an episode to condemn, you know, totally. religion or spirituality because I think it's Brene Brown's research that talks about how it's like a fundamental pillar in our ability to be resilient and feel a sense of community and belonging. Mm -hmm. But there are those who have been in these religious environments where they have experienced trauma, but I don't even think that people would label it as that. Hey, like I feel like they probably feel they themselves are flawed or wrong in some way. Which is what we use to define whether it was religious trauma. Are you coming to us not understanding what has happened to you, you think that you were the problem and not the institution or the way that a much larger system was working around you. I will say too, around the spirituality, it is never my goal to rip that from anyone. Mm -hmm. It is always, always my goal. In fact, let me just sort of back up here. If people do not have a spiritual connection or they don't have any sort of beliefs or practices they are actually more vulnerable to cultic groups than those that do. Hmm. So it is never my goal to pull that away. What I'm interested in is really challenging the institution that takes away our humanity and asks us to do things that are beyond what any spirituality should ask you to do. Mm -hmm. You are human. There is nothing in the world you can do about that. So to be in any sort of environment that is asking you to step away from that, asking you to feel badly about that, asking you to search for perfection in any sort of way, in my opinion, that is deeply flawed theology. And it's also really psychologically dangerous. And that's what we're challenging in these spaces. Mm -hmm. More our relationship with the institution or the business of the church or however we want to call it Mm -hmm. and less about your belief system or the God you worship or whatever. It's much more about our relationship with the institution and how that has played out for us. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So if we've experienced religious trauma, you're saying that we've had a bad experience. What might be some of the other red flags or reasons that people might come in to see you? What are the prompts that make them be like, huh, This is really messed with me. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we see is delayed sexual development. So when Mm. you grow up in an environment that really emphasizes purity culture and really emphasizes that sex can only happen in certain circumstances and whether it was meant to be that way or not, there's also some really strong undercurrents of messaging that you got that sex should not be enjoyable. In fact, that probably makes you somehow separate from God or somehow sinful. And so a lot of people will come to me going, I am in a very loving marriage and I cannot figure out why I do not want to be touched. I am scared to death. I shut down. There's all kinds of sexual dysfunction and that can happen for either spouse. That's a very common thing that kind of brings people in. Now, For those that are hearing this, they might actually say some of the things that most of my patients will say at the beginning when they come in and they're like, something is wrong with me, that I can't do Mm. this thing that I'm supposed to be doing. All of humanity has been able to do this. That is how humanity has perpetuated. And most of the time, I'll just have to say, yes, but was that what you were taught? I mean, Mm -hmm. what were the messages that you got? It was probably that it was something to be avoided at all costs until you were in a very particular situation 
And then you were supposed to snap open that window shade (laughs) and be Mm -hmm. able to fully move into that space. And that is just not how sexual development works at all. And so a lot of people will come to me for that. That's a, a big sign that they have really lived in a restrictive space. I can imagine like you mm-hmm. get married or you step into a relationship where now maybe this is deemed okay, but the messaging or the rule book you've been given your whole life mm-hmm. is to avoid or that it separates you from God or sinful or all the things that you've mentioned. Yep. So then trying to like reconcile that in your brain now, mm-hmm. right, is a big that's a big undertaking. And then we add yep. motherhood on top of that and all the things that we think a yep. mother should be. And then you lose, you know, sexual expression altogether in the like martyrdom that, you know, motherhood is portrayed to be. Yep. Yeah. We also see a lot of uh, delayed emotional development. So this is something that I think people are very surprised when I start talking about this with them in therapy that if you're in a highly restrictive environment and there was music that was off limits and there were TV shows that all your peers were watching that were off limits, it might even get into the kind of section of the world that doesn't believe that exposing your children to other school-age children is good, that it will somehow ruin them or invade their innocence in some way. And there can be many reasons that these sort of decisions are made, but when they start all kind of grouping together, like lots of things are restricted and we find an adult that maybe wants to get away from some of that restriction, but constantly feels like they are behind their peers and like they don't understand pop culture references. They don't feel comfortable going out in groups that everyone else seems to be comfortable in. They feel a little bit off. They feel like everyone's judging them. Mm. There's lots of ways in which this can happen. It can also happen in the context of interpersonal relationships, where if you have been told that all of your feelings are wrong and you should not have them and you should separate yourself from them immediately. And there's lots of language around this, like, quote, submit yourself to God quote, lean not on your own understanding, but on the understanding of God, right? There's lots of ways in which we're told that we can't have an emotional experience and it be healthy at the same time, other than joy and maybe even righteous anger at certain times, but there's really limited emotional expression. Well, you don't learn Mm -hmm. how to deal with things like anger. So what happens when you get into an interpersonal relationship with someone who maybe did learn or maybe someone that didn't? How in the world are you supposed to navigate that when everyone else has had a developmental history where they've been working through that stuff since childhood, but you weren't able to. Mm -hmm. So we'll find that a lot of adults will kind of come out of these spaces feeling like super low self-esteem, a lot of depression because a lot of repressed feelings have gone on and a lot of anxiety because there's a lot of feelings that are kind of coming up, but they have no idea what to do with it. And they feel like they're somehow wrong. So social anxiety, panic attacks, all of those sort of things will kind of come up. Mm -hmm. And if we really boil it down, it's usually this deep insecurity about their emotional expression and the practicality of not knowing what to do with that in relationships. As busy moms, the last thing we need is more on our to-do list. It's hard enough to remember who needs what packed for school, when the next doctor's appointment is, and when to register for events. 
let alone remembering to call and cancel subscriptions that drain your finances every month. That's why Rocket Money is so great. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. You can see all of your subscriptions in one place. And if you notice something that you don't want, Rocket Money can help you cancel it with a few taps. They even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of 500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash momwell. That's rocketmoney.com slash momwell. Feeding the family is one of the most all-consuming parts of the invisible load. Meal planning, shopping, trying to balance nutrition, finding the time to actually cook with little ones needing your focus and attention can be so stressful. But Factor makes it easy. Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals take the mental load off your plate, providing pre-prepared, chef-crafted meals delivered right to your door. You'll have over 35 different options a week to select from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan plus veggie, and more. You can even choose from over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons, including snacks and smoothies. With Factor, there's no prep and no mess. The meals are 100% ready to heat and eat in just two minutes. That means no cooking and no cleanup, which is great for busy moms. You can choose the schedule that works for you and your family. Choosing six to 18 meals per week and pausing or rescheduling your deliveries is quick and easy. Reclaim some time and reduce your mental load with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use the code momwell50 to get 50% off. That's code momwell50 at factormeals.com slash momwell50 to get 50% off. If your house is anything like mine, breakfast is the most frantic meal of the day. We all want to start the day off with a wholesome meal for our kids, but the time crunch makes it difficult. Magic Spoon helps relieve the morning rush with tasty cereals high in protein for a great start to the day. Magic Spoon offers a variety pack with four delicious flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. And it has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and four to five grams of net carbs per serving. Each Magic Spoon cereal is made with wholesome ingredients and no artificial flavors or dyes. And since it's gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free, it's great for a variety of dietary needs. Go to magicspoon.com momwell to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code momwell at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund you your money, no questions asked. Try a delicious bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash momwell and use the code momwell to save $5. This is a really interesting piece because I see this as I have, you know, stepped further and further away from 
this like community that I've like grown up with. Some of them are still family members and involved in our lives and things. And so my like four-year-old or my five-year-old will be like, where's my lovey? I lost it. And it's like, why don't you pray and ask God where it is? And then you'll find it. And I'm like, why doesn't he use his critical thinking brain and think about the last place that he had it? Right. Right. And so there's this like ability to solve problems, to make our own decisions, to like all of these things are attributed to like this external source or even with like navigating fear, for example, if he's like scared at nighttime and like, do we pray before we go to bed? Yes, we do. But do I think that he needs to pray ritualistically every time he feels fearful? No, I don't. Right. right? And so I think that even the ability, like you said, the practical skills, the practical skills to learn how to manage anxiety Mm -hmm. or fear, Mm -hmm. which is often, at least in the environment that I was in, interpreted as a lack of faith, Mm -hmm. not trusting in God enough. Or a lesson from God. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So there is this whole psychological piece that I've observed where especially people who are like prone to anxiety or like people pleasing or have Mm -hmm. had trauma get really like wanting to please and wanting to follow the rules and wanting Mm -hmm. to do it right, that it, it can become paralyzing. Totally. And then you add on a little guilt and shame and you've got a cycle that nothing can interrupt right? (laughs) You feel anxious. Mm -hmm. You go outside of yourself to find some sort of answer to that. It will work sometimes just because life sometimes works out and you can find your lovey or you're less scared and you can go to bed, but you haven't actually figured out that you can be a part of that, right? And so then the next time it doesn't work and you've been told that that is somehow an indication of your lack of faithfulness or God's anger at you, then now you're going to be riddled with guilt. I've done something wrong and I'm being punished for it or shame. I am wrong. I just can't do anything right. Mm. And here we go again. Mm -hmm. Right? Nothing can interrupt that. Yeah. It's bringing up in my mind the idea of safety. Mm -hmm. How does one feel safe? when the everything is outside of themselves. And like, I don't know, I feel like there's something there. Can we unpack that a little bit? Absolutely. This is why I will die on the hill of (laughs) religious trauma being something that we have to talk about over and over and over again until it goes away. Because in my humble opinion, what faith communities are proposing is that they can be a safe place. Mm -hmm. They will help you connect with God. They will help you solve the mysteries of life and they will help you get to an afterlife that you want to be a part of, right? Like that's what faith communities Mm -hmm. are saying. Every single part of that is safety. I am scared and this community can offer safety. So when you go to those communities and they become abusive, they become controlling, they become fear-based and guilt-ridden then suddenly the space that you are supposed to go to get safety is actually the most unsafe place, but you wouldn't know that Mm. because it was still unsafe in the outside world too. And so now you're stuck. And now this is a you problem. If you were unsafe in the outside world and now you're unsafe in the faith community, this is a you problem. You are the common denominator. Mm -hmm. It gets tricky. I'm thinking about my son being given this advice to like pray for this, pray for that. I think about 
feeling like in psychology, we talk about like the locus of control and like mm-hmm. we have no control within ourselves. We have nothing that we feel confident and certain in and that everything is external and is controlled externally outside of us. And then I think about how absolutely chaotic that has to feel, right? Right? To not have any sense of certainty at times, to not have any sense of confidence in our decision and and without leaving it up to something external to God's will or somebody else to decide feels absolutely like derailing Mm -hmm. as I'm thinking about it and talking about it. One of the things that we need most in life for psychological health is a sense of safety. And that's a safety within ourselves, a safety in our relationships, and a safety in the world around us. And there's really no negotiating that, right? Like there's no like version of life where we can get away with or feel healthy and not feel safe. Mm. Like those two things are opposite. They have to be together. You have to feel safe to be healthy. Mm -hmm. And so when we think about a church environment or a synagogue or whatever your place of worship is, and we think about trying to understand the like green flags for safety mm-hmm. and, you know, that this is a healthy place for me and the red flags that this is maybe psychologically, emotionally, physically unsafe or unhealthy. What might be some of the things that we're looking for? When I teach people how to assess these things, I really recommend that you think about things that are specific to your experience, but that you don't put yourself in the middle of the question because oftentimes you've been so you've been so threatened by the thought of leaving these things that you're not likely going to get an honest answer. And so this is what I mean by that. Think about your specific faith community and kind of pick it apart, the different parts of it that are going on that seem to make you a little uncomfortable or seem to leave you in a bind. And then try to transpose that into another circumstance altogether and just see if that would jive. So here's one of the things that I ask people to really consider. One of the green flags about any sort of faith community is that you can leave at any time with no consequences. Hmm. A red flag is you cannot leave without massive consequences. You will lose maybe your customers at your job because the church will not send people to you anymore. Maybe you work for the church and you'll be fired and you won't be able to feed your family. Maybe you'll just lose all of your relationships You won't have anything to do on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday night because all those used to include, you know, activities with church members or faith community members. So pick that up and put that in another environment. If you were locked in a home and could not leave without suffering some terrible consequence, would that be safe? No. Mm. That's an obvious no. Mm -hmm. But if you're kind of thinking about your own circumstances, you'll try to rationalize it. So, well, I can't leave this church because I think that this is probably a faith issue. Hmm. God is trying to teach me something. And so that's probably God trying to convict me to stay here a little bit longer to get to the bottom of what these feelings are. This is a challenge. This is a faith challenge. Do you Mm -hmm. see how the way that you've been trained in those environments will automatically teach you to rationalize things because they've already done that from the pulpit, from the microphones, from the preaching. They've already taught you how to rationalize some of your fears. So that's just sort of how you 
think about this and assess it for yourself. But in general, we want communities that allow the full range of emotion. Mm. What happens when you are angry, depressed, upset, frustrated, and how do people respond to you in that space? Can you leave at any time? And are there consequences to that? When you join the community, what are the expectations? If at any point the expectation is for you to give up anything, Hmm. including resources, time, energy, business, whatever that is, please think hard about joining that or at least consider what that did to you to join a community that required that. That's one of the main things that they use in coercive control to control people, to keep them in the group is when you rip away all of their resources, where else will they go? Mm -hmm. I also ask people to think about their vulnerability. What was happening to you in the four months before you joined that community? If you were born into it, how did that come to be? Is this a four or five generation thing? What happened then? Mm -hmm. Like what happened when your family got involved in this faith community? And what you'll oftentimes find is that four to six months before joining a high control group, that there is some sort of vulnerability that happens, a heartbreak, a devastating loss, a marriage ending, poverty, like some sudden poverty, some war happens. There's always a huge influx when we experience a war as a society into religious communities, Mm -hmm. which of course can be a huge, you know, space for support. And I hope that they continue to be that way, but not everyone is going to find themselves in the safe ones. And so what happens when you find yourself in an unsafe one, and then that plays out for generations. Mm -hmm. It makes me think about some of the unspoken rules that I was able to observe sort of in retrospect from the environment that I was in. Like it was often preached to tithe your day to God. So like two and a half hours of your day should be spent in prayer and, you know, religious reading. Mm -hmm. Or there were many people who quit their jobs and careers to volunteer at the church with promises of blessings or being paid or repaid in some way and then would spend like two and three years there. And then nothing would happen. And then they're that far behind in their own personal and life development because they have dedicated all of their time and energy and resources. Another really big one that I observed was that for some reason, any of the married couples that got involved ended up divorcing. Hmm. I don't know what was going on there, but there was like As I think about it now, there was like very little respect for family and the Mm -hmm. family structure because your time was meant to be like devoted to the church. Mm -hmm. And so you can imagine how that could tear families apart, especially I'm thinking like young parents and people with young children when you need your partner by your side, right? So they were not like necessarily financial, but it was these unwritten rules that weren't up mm-hmm. front to enter. It wasn't like, oh, you've got to like buy into enter. And it's like That's this, right. I don't know. I think about like frat things where you've got to do this like. Yeah. Initiation. Initiation. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't mm-hmm. upfront like that, but it was very much like just this underlying culture of the expectation of what things were. Yeah. We would call that breadcrumbing. So there is something that gets you in 
you know, at the beginning, something that promises you some sort of relief from whatever life woe that you are experiencing, or it promises you that your marriage will be better than ever, or you won't quite feel so depressed all the time. There's usually some promise. And as you continue on, there's more and more expectations and less and less fulfillment of the promise that someone Mm. has made. It also happens in leadership and cultic leadership, where at the beginning, the things that you're actually hearing this leader say are probably mostly true. Mm. And so there's nothing kind of going off in your alarm bells that are saying like, that is fundamentally flawed. (laughs) You're actually sort of saying like, no, you're actually saying like, oh my God, they have a point. And that's actually what I'm longing for is to be a part of a bigger purpose of of a community that resonates more with me. And so then you join. And then as you continue on, the lies become larger and the truths become smaller Mm -hmm. in the teachings and the preachings and the whatever of these groups. But by that time, you're usually all in and there will be very, very big consequences for you leaving. And some of those are resource consequences. Some of those are relational consequences, but much of that is psychological consequences. What does it mean about me that I got stuck in this group? Hmm. What does it mean about me that I raised my children in this? What does it mean about me that my kids are now devout evangelicals and I'm not, and I raised them that way. And then now I'm defecting. Like how, how does that work? There's big psychological consequences Mm -hmm. for separating yourself. And so oftentimes psychologically, it's much easier to stay. It's interesting when you frame it as that, because I think when we, we think about like breaking out of like, you know, cultish type leadership, we think about like camps where people are like Mm -hmm. physically kept. We think about, I don't know, like gangs where you like can't make it out alive kind of idea, but it's like the sheer, what does this mean about me and for me Mm -hmm. that in itself is like its own little prison, right? Yeah. I say this with pith, but a really good cult leader or a really narcissistic leader will never have to make rules about whether people stay or go. Mm. They will have their followers build the prison cell themselves. And that is far more effective than someone else imprisoning you. Mm-hmm. So, and that happens with lots of different skill sets <laughs> that that's easily, I would say, a prominent skill set of like a cult leader or a charismatic leader or a vivacious, life-filled, wordsmithy preacher right? That mm-hmm. seems to really get people fired up and really get them into a space to where they're ready to commit more and more and more to his or her ultimate goal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It makes me wonder, like, how do those who have maybe come out of these environments reconcile finding a healthy place or embracing their spirituality what might that look like? I know for my own like personal journey coming out of the community I was in, I've tried a few churches and I've gone in and, and I've heard some like strong opinions against things like medications mm-hmm. for mental health, or I've heard things against embracing like healthcare and praying instead and things. And I'm just like, I shut down and yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm done, right. you know? 
So for me, avoidance has totally been my strategy because that's what keeps me safe, Right. right? To not think about opening up another door. But like, do you find that clients want to then like push towards something? Or is it more just about reconciling what do you do with your Sundays at home in your own new way? I think that there's a range of what people are longing for and wanting. And it usually matters how long they've been in, what the consequences were for them leaving, how controlled they were. I mean, all of that stuff really, like how much of the belief system was embedded in your everyday life? Like, did it change how you ate? Did it change how the rhythm of your day? Did it change where you spent all your time? Did it change where you could buy a house? Did it change whether you bought a house or whether you couldn't afford it because you were sacrificing so much of your financial health towards, you know, the faith community. It just matters. Like it matters how deep you're in. I will say that my recommendation is almost exclusively to not worry about your spirituality when you're coming out of Mm. these groups, that that is going to shake out, that your job is to understand the trauma that happened. And if you can do a lot of your trauma recovery, oftentimes you can get a very good picture of what you're longing for, what you need, what you would even go back to these communities for. And so now you can kind of pick ones that fit well Mm -hmm. with what you're needing and what you're wanting. You can maybe have some perspective on like, what's our line in the sand? When do we leave? What needs to be preached from the pulpit for us to say, not only am I going to challenge you, but I'm also leaving because there's no part of that that I want my children to be a part of. You know, where are your lines in the sand? That can only happen if you take care of your trauma Mm, first, mm -hmm. in my humble opinion. What we don't want to happen is cult hopping. And this is a phenomenon that happens within religious communities and in cult groups, which is you got into that group for a reason or you were born into it. So you were either heavily socialized into that group or you were vulnerable and you got into that group for some reason. Mm -hmm. And what happens when you leave is that there's a huge vacuum there. There's a big psychological vacuum and you are going to be anxious to fill that again. And so what we'll see is there's folks that will start out in one group and they'll even speak out against that group, but they are also at the very same time, they're also joining another group that usually has like deep conspiracy theories going on beliefs against the medical system. It's all kind of like wrapped up, right? right? It's all similar to the space that you got out of, but maybe it's just not as culty yet. Maybe it's just an online group. Maybe it's just QAnon, Mm -hmm. right? Like there's all kinds of ways in which maybe you're not going to a church building anymore. Maybe you're not like living in that community anymore, but now you've transitioned to another group that has all the same facets. And they also you know, are in the business of trying to control you in some way, Mm -hmm. control your thinking, your decision-making, those sort of things. I can imagine how when you get out of an environment like that, especially like I think about the rules of like tithing your day to God and two and a half hours a day and being and dedicating and then leaving and not uh, like quote unquote replacing that or doing those good things as you've been taught to do them mm-hmm. leaves for this wide open, uncomfortable, anxiety provoking space. Yeah. Right. And I was actually, I think because I was down the rabbit hole on the algorithm of your page. And so a few others <laughs> popped up and explore on Instagram. And one of them was like, for those who have escaped religious trauma, like here are some ideas of how you can spend your Sundays. Mm-hmm. 
And even that, just as simple as that in itself, like yep. go and appreciate nature, uh, have a family tradition, something that you guys do on Sunday morning that feels like nourishing and restorative mm-hmm. or, mm-hmm. you know, do something creative or something that you feel like is like woven into like your meaning and purpose yep. in some way. Because I think that it just leaves a void, right? Totally. Totally. And not just on Sundays, but like all the days, right? Because right. if you're really in these groups, then, you know, there's what books do you read if you're not reading the Bible or, you know, whatever. Yeah. I think that there's two things that can be really helpful here. Number one is just trying to figure out what your hobbies are and your interests. Mm-hmm. Usually when you're a part of these groups, those were somehow used against you. Like those were wasteful uses of your time or those were silly or you just didn't have time for it. Even if no one said a single thing about what you did recreationally, it was probably communicated to you that something bad was happening to you unless you were doing all the things that the faith community was telling you to do on a daily basis. So just like take classes, (laughs) get Groupons, go out there Mm. and start checking some things off the list of like, really hated that, not going to do that again. Kind of liked that, but I felt uncomfortable because everyone obviously comes every week and I don't know how I feel about a group yet. Yeah. Go to the next thing, like keep trying those different things. I also really encourage people to start making a list of the cultural references that people make that leave them a little like, what was that about? Mm. What I don't understand. Like, why, why are people laughing? Make a list and then go research it. Is that, um, you know, a Simpsons reference? Watch an episode. Just let yourself live a little. Mm-hmm. Was there something that you always longed to do growing up, but you weren't allowed to do? Whether it was like go to dances or whatever. Like go back to that time when you were in seventh grade and you were not allowed to go to that dance and like look up what the popular music was at that time. Or maybe you have friends that you're feeling a little bit more comfortable with. Ask them. Like allow yourself the opportunity to have access to things that were really restricted for you. That is, in my opinion, one of the most lovely and compassionate things you can do for yourself. Mm -hmm. As you said, learn what your preferences really are and what you want to enjoy and spend time in and what you don't. And I think about that in so many areas and even in terms of our roles as, as women and as mothers in our roles as sexual beings Mm -hmm. in our relationships. What can you explore that maybe you were always told was wrong, but like, you know, and we're not going to flood ourselves and go crazy. Potentially that might be too much, but like, what is a little something? Did you like it? Did you not? Mm -hmm. Right. And starting to add some of those things back in. And then I think that's how we truly find and reconnect with ourselves. Right. That's how we learn our voice. That's right. And also, you got your whole life ahead of you. Mm. I don't care when you get out. You've got the rest of your life ahead of you. I want you to be able to go on hikes if you want to do that on a Sunday morning. If you want to make pottery and fill your house with that, I want you to be able to do that. I want you to be able to read the memes that bring me so much joy (laughs) and actually laugh, Mm -hmm. right? Because you know what the heck they're talking about. There's just so much about life. And I think that what typically happens is someone that comes out of religious trauma or cult groups, they'll look back and they'll look at how much time was wasted and have a lot of sorrow about that. And you get to have that. There's grief there. Hey, yeah. So much grief and you get to feel those feelings. 
But I also really want to encourage anyone that's coming out of this or even thinking about coming out of this. It does not matter how old you are. You've got the rest of your life to look forward to, even if that's three weeks. Mm -hmm. What if you make like the best bowl of your life in that pottery class? Mm -hmm. Or what if you like are able to think about like the wind in your hair on that bike ride? right? Because you don't have to wear a skirt anymore. So you can actually get on that bike. Mm -hmm. Like there's all kinds of things that can happen in these spaces that I think are worth it. Mm -hmm. But people do have to bet on themselves to leave. Yeah. And resources like yours and pages like yours give people the confidence and the courage finding support like yours. So this is really resonating with people. Where are you hanging out online? Where can they find more about you? Well, I spend most of my time on Instagram and I'm at Dr. Quincy there, but I do have a religious trauma and cult recovery community. Mm. And basically for a year, I walk you through everything that you might need to know about coming out of this space. I created this because when I was coming out of it and I lost everyone, I really just needed some sounding boards and I needed someone that's like, hi, that was traumatic and it's okay to think so. And that's actually emotional manipulation. Or have you ever heard of gaslighting? Mm. You just got like a big lesson in that with what that, you know, pastor told you or what that leader told you. So I needed that. And so I went and created it (laughs) because I just think that if you can get support from someone who is hyper vigilant about not creating another culty environment for you, mm-hmm. then that's probably the best space to be in coming out of this mess. So if that's something that people are interested in, they can find me on Instagram. I have all of the information there, but the membership is called a year of non-magical thinking. Mm-hmm. And I walk people through all of the psychological manipulation that they went through. And I teach them how to think critically and practice healthy skepticism and do that in a way that honors them and their families and their experiences. Where were you like a decade ago when I needed needed my own group to go through? I've been like a decade of unpacking this trauma, but no. It's so great to have that. And we'll link it in the show notes for people to easily click through and find you. Thank you for the work that you're doing. I can imagine even within yourself, that takes courage and it's scary to speak out in this way. And so I really appreciate the work that you're doing and what we've shared here today. So thank you so much. Well, I love being here. So thanks so much for having me back so I could talk about this. Wow. Isn't Dr. Quincy just so genuine and validating and so knowledgeable in this area? One of the hardest parts about mental health or mental distress and suffering is that if we don't have language and understanding of what we went through, it is so easy for us to minimize and gaslight our own experience, even though that experience came with a lot of pain and heartache and trauma. If you tuned into this episode and found it really resonated for you, I want you to know that you are not alone, that there are people out there like Dr. Quincy who understand this experience, can give language to it, can bring understanding to it, and help you to move through that hurt and pain to bring some healing and freedom. I encourage you to go check out the group and community that Dr. Quincy has. And for those of you who are unpacking religion's impact on your idea of what it means to be a wife and mother, and the role that that causes you to fulfill within your home, 
Our therapists at Happy as a Mother are specialized in helping you unpack these identity questions as you're transitioning into your new role. To book with one of our therapists, head to happyasamother.co slash wellness. I'll see you right back here, same time, same place next week, where we are being joined by Laura Bazelon, professor, lawyer, and author of the book, Ambitious Like a Mother. Laura is joining us to discuss what it means to be a working mother, the guilt that comes with it, how intensive mothering plays a role, and how we can let go of the guilt and embrace our working, ambitious selves outside of motherhood. You don't want to miss it. I'll see you back here next week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description, or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job. Mmm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Ah, mmm, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.